Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, November 7th. Will the federal government bend to pressure and pause carbon pricing across the country? We get a breakdown of the current debate on whether the Liberals may expand the pause with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. There's a lot to unpack from the UCP's annual general meeting over the weekend. We dive into the UCP's push for so-called parental rights when it comes to schools. What it really means and what it would look like with Dr. Christopher Wells, professor from the Department of Child and Youth Care at McEwen University. And finally, she's only had a few hours sleep after a whirlwind trip to Las Vegas. We catch up with the travel lady, Leslie Cater, who shares her latest experience from Sin City, from the wide variety of dining to the shows to the much-talked-about sphere. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying there will be no further carbon tax carve-outs, despite blowback that the policy change on heating oil only benefits Atlantic Canada. Joining us to talk about that and the latest from the Capitol is Ottawa Bureau Chief for Global News and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, how are you guys? Excellent. How are you? Great, thanks. Good. Uh, this has just been one that really, uh, it's kind of um, a head-scratcher for people across the country as to why sort of one side, not even a side of the country, I'm not even saying that, but why one group is getting, uh, uh, you know, a pause on carbon pricing for heating oil, yet not for others. And, and the, they're, the liberals seem to be really digging in their heels on this one, despite a lot of talk about it from, from coast to coast. What's the rationale behind it? So the Liberals say the rationale is that heating oil is one of the most, uh, if not the most, polluting way to to heat your home. And then in some areas of the country, primarily Atlantic Canada, there's not a lot of options for how else to heat your home. Um, There's not natural gas. There's not propane the same way. And so they're trying to encourage people to get off it. But what they're running into is that they say particularly, um, for example, low-income female seniors, which is what Minister Randy Boissonneau identified to me on the show as a key demographic, are struggling to pay for heat pumps, which is what the Liberal government um, would like to see replace that. Uh, heat pumps are, are very expensive. They, you know, can, can run into the five figures. You can need more than one to heat your home. And on top of that, um, you know, they can struggle to heat below a certain temperature, which can require backup systems. So he says that they are trying to encourage people who would not otherwise be able to afford to switch on to that, to switch on to that. Where the logic gets in a little bit of trouble is why they've chosen to pause the carbon tax there instead of just create a separate program that deals with the heat. Yeah. Um, and I think that they, they somehow did not anticipate this. Now, the political rationale for why they, they may be doing this is that they have been in a free fall in Atlantic Canada in the polls. And the primary thing that MPs in Atlantic Canada have been identifying as problematic is the carbon tax. That's what they are hearing from their constituents. And so um, you'll notice when the Prime Minister presented this, well, they say it's not about being targeted to Atlantic Canada. His entire Atlantic caucus was standing behind him. (laughs) So it kind of seems to counter the message on why they say they're doing it, uh, not at all being related to geography other than that that's where heating oil is. But, you know, this is fed right into Pierre Pauly's narrative, which is problematic for them. Um, And and it's hard for them to keep sort of um, the integrity of the logic of their program, which is that the tax balances out with the rebate, that it is financially neutral, and that it is necessary necessary to change behavior. Um, So they've really thrown their own signature program into significant jeopardy with this. 
It's very interesting to me that you mentioned, you know, the whole Atlantic, uh, you know, cock standing behind him. The, the optics are, are one thing, absolutely, if you're saying the other. And, and I know there's a lot of pushback to extend the carbon price freezing to other forms of home heating. And there's a lot of pressure. The Liberal government saying that we're not going to bow to said pressure. But uh, could it get too much this pressure? Do you think we could see a change and an extension of, 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 of such a deal, so to speak, for the rest of the country? I mean, honestly, who knows? They, they are in serious trouble in the polls. And if they see this start to reverse their fortunes in Atlantic Canada, they might consider it. I, I think that they're going to be, this is a government that polls internally constantly to see what they should do on policy. Uh, and every so often we get a hold of those internal polls. Um, and they knew, for example, right before the cabinet shuffle, they were taking a significant hit. Uh, and then the cabinet shuffle came. So I think they're probably going to watch how this is playing out and if it improves their fortunes in Atlantic Canada. Um, I'd say that, you know, they say there's no more car votes, but they'd always said there was never going to be a car yeah, vote. Yeah. So they may be open to that, even though they're not at the time. But but the unfortunate thing is it's creating division within the country, you know, right now with people feeling like they're not being heard. When I asked uh, Randy Boissonneau about this, he said that the government had already done a, quote, disproportionate amount for Albertans. Uh, and he cited TMX. Well, TMX is obviously Oof. quite different. It's a, it's a national program. It is not putting money back in individual pockets. You know, every Albertan is not going to get a check. Sure, there'll be lots of financial benefit to the province. Uh, but you could make the same argument about the LNG port that was, you know, being built out in uh, Atlantic Canada. It's a big infrastructure project. It's not the same thing as giving individuals a rebate. So I, I think that um, they've probably created a pretty massive political headache for themselves mm-hmm. on this one. And it's one of the first times we've seen the NDP siding with the Conservatives mm-hmm. as well. Um, and uh, I don't think the NDP is looking to go to an election anytime soon, and the Bloc did not back the opposition motion yesterday on uh, alleviating uh, taxes on, on home heating. But, um, you know, it, it speaks to sort of the, the increasing unpopularity that this government's experiencing right now. Mercedes, as my mama used to say, never say never. Uh, let's <laughs> let's uh, change tax a little bit, and we'll talk about uh, what's happening right now in Gaza with the war on Hamas. And we do know that sounds like anyway, as of this morning, Canadians are waiting to get across the border and get out and into Egypt. But uh, when you chatted on the show, what do we know about the efforts to secure the release of the hostages that are still being held in Gaza? I mean, there's, there's lots of negotiations that are still going on. And we spoke to Hen Zeigen. He's the son of Vivian Silver. She is one of the Canadians who is missing and believed to be a hostage. But Hen told us um, the only information they really have to go off with that is that she was on Kibbutz Berry, which, you know, a number of your um, listeners will be familiar with. It's, it's one of the kibbutzes that was just horrifically um, devastated, the scene of extraordinary violence. Um, and she is missing from there. And they found her cell phone pinging in Gaza. But how the cell phone got there is not known. So she is assumed to be kidnapped and being held hostage, uh, but they don't know. And so they're going through sort of just terrible experience of of not having any closure over where his mother even is. Um, so there's still certainly efforts there, but the IDF is obviously um, in a much more advanced state of their operation than when we chatted uh, at this time last week. 
um, and the Canadians in Gaza continue to hope to be able to get out. Uh, and we sort of seem to keep having these false starts or, or other countries are able to get other people out like Jordan. But so far, Canadians have not been allowed out. They're hoping that maybe today is the day. Um, but this is all just kind of moving constantly at any moment. There's different countries involved. You know, Egypt, Israel, uh, the Palestinian Authority is involved. Um, and at the same time, Canada's trying to say, hey, can we get our citizens out? So it's, it's a pretty complex situation. But I imagine for those families that we've been in touch with on the ground, uh, you know, the complexity details just wanting to get out. Mercedes, what, if anything, can we as Canadians, the Canadian government representing us and the international community for that matter, do better to respond to hostage situations like this? And what role does di- diplomacy play in securing these releases? Can we really move the needle? I mean, I doubt that we are hyper-engaged on the ground in any negotiations. It will be primarily Israel. But what we would be doing is providing key information that might help them to identify who the Canadians are or things about them that could humanize them. Um, So the RCMP typically would be engaged in that. Uh, If the RCMP who are hostage negotiators, they might be helping with those negotiations with the Israelis. But that's the direct effort to try to humanize that they undertake in a hostage situation. The larger diplomacy aspect is really up to Melanie Jolie and it's up to Justin Trudeau. And you'll seen that if you looked at the Prime Minister's uh, schedule over the last couple of days, which of course I obsessively do every morning and every (laughs) evening, um, you'll see he's been having calls with the Prime Minister of Israel, um, with senior officials in Jordan, with all the surrounding countries. And and I guarantee you what he's doing there is advocating to get Canadians out of Gaza and advocating to try to get them to to speak on behalf of getting hostages released. When it comes to the hostages in particular, um, it is much more Egypt, Jordan, and in particular Qatar, who have influence on who gets released. So you have to convince that government to basically lobby for your citizens uh, because Hamas is, is not really going to care about what Canada has to say. Um, and, you know, this is an ongoing discussion about, you know, why defense and security and foreign affairs matter in Canada. When there's a crisis, um, you know, where you rank among allies matters. I'm not sure at this point we can make an argument, you know, that a ton of Americans have gotten out either. So it, it's a complicated situation. And the reality is, you know, we're a Western country that Hamas does not like very much. Um, and that is going to make things very challenging. But it's a reminder of, you know, you, you can't sort of ignore things like how well-equipped the military is or how involved we are in the world and then expect to be able to step up to the plate and solve things on your own because mm-hmm. Canada's always had a good reputation uh, when things come off the rails. So much behind the scenes as well. Thank you so much for breaking it down. Always appreciate chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Mercedes Stevenson is Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. The UCP government is looking to follow Saskatchewan's example and it announced their support for so-called parental rights at their annual general meeting over the weekend. Joining us to discuss is Dr. Christopher Wells, Associate Professor in the Department of Child and Youth Care, Faculty of Health and Community Studies at McEwen University. Uh, Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning. So what exactly are we talking about when we use the term, in this context, parental rights? Well, I think if we look back, Alberta has a long history of parental rights. And, and at, its, at its very base, it's this notion that uh, parents should have uh, control over what happens with their children. So, for example, they have the, the right to make medical decisions, the right to uh, decide what kind of uh, curriculum um, or classroom discussions uh, students are a part of. 
Let's uh, kind of break it down a little bit in terms of the UCP supporting through the, the weekend event that they held, supporting the parental rights idea that is Saskatchewan's and started there. But what is the support from the UCP signal to you in terms of that support? Well, I, I think if we, we think about parental rights, again, some people, uh, when we when we unpack it, really uh, this understanding that uh, some believe children are their property to do with as they please, um, where others would argue that uh, children have their own set of inalienable rights as as human beings. And so I think what we're, what we're seeing here is a, is a conflict over what some would argue is protecting vulnerable children in some cases where their parents or their home might not be a supportive uh, environment mm-hmm. where others would argue that parents get the final say over everything, whether it's it's good or bad or in the best interests of their child. Is this a stability or a power play from the UCP to, to keep all party members happy to a certain extent? Well, well, certainly some would say it's a bit of a, a red herring of an issue, um, particularly when we're talking about transgender you know, children or this uh, notion that somehow schools are keeping secrets from uh, parents. You know, the curriculum is a, is a public document anybody can, can look at or, or they can be involved with their uh, you know, parent council to find out what's happening in their school. Um, so uh, a lot of uh, a thought or, or belief is that this is is a distraction from the real issues that matter to most Albertans, like focusing on the economy, housing, food inflation that we're all dealing with, and surging cost of electricity. Why would you pick on the most uh, vulnerable and pick on children when there are such pressing issues uh, in our province? And you know the 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 argument from the LGBT community plus community is that, you know, you know, you would know what's going on in your child's life at school and at home if they felt safe enough to be telling you all about it. So it does seem that they're kind of picking and choosing when they talk about parental rights. Well, whose parental rights are we talking about? Because the LGBTQ plus community wasn't asked about their thoughts on it. Yeah, you know, uh, absolutely. And we have to remember that, uh, you know, schools include all kinds of different families from all kinds of different backgrounds and beliefs. So when we're talking about the question of parental rights or whose whose viewpoints and rights are we trying to impose upon an entire school community? Uh, You know, and it's really important that we're learning about diversity and difference in our schools uh, and fostering notions of empathy and respect for for difference. And in uh, Canada, that includes uh, the LGBTQ plus community. At that recent AGM over the weekend, the UCP also took aim at post-secondary institutions and pulling funding from universities with race-based admissions. So how do we exactly define a race-based admission and why is it in the crosshairs uh, for the UCP right now? Well, so many of the the policy resolutions we saw at the the convention appear to be uh, ripped from the uh, playbook of the far right Republicans in the United States because you know, in Canada we actually don't have race based uh, admissions. Often, what we have is uh, is equity admissions, and those are for select programs where we're not seeing, for example, Indigenous 
doctors or black social workers or uh, LGBTQ healthcare uh, providers. So equity admissions really recognize that there has been uh, structural and systemic discrimination, and they try to to level the playing field and and give uh, different minority groups the same opportunity as everyone else to get an education and to be represented in professions. So again, it feels like it's kind of pandering by the premier to really sort of back up the, the strong notions coming from the extreme part of the UCP party. Well, some feel that the, the UCP party has been uh, taken over by, um, uh, you know, these groups of uh, Take Back Alberta, for example. And and we have to ask that question, Take Back Alberta from whom? Mm -hmm. um, you know, perhaps the, the slogan is actually um, what we're seeing in the United States is make Alberta great again. You hear a lot about Alberta through these kinds of resolutions and conversations about, you know, separating from the rest of Canada. So we really have to ask, does Alberta want to be the 51st, you know, state in the United States of America or be part of this constitutional democracy in Canada that values human rights and empathy and respect for every citizen? I'm wondering if there were any other takeaways or any other items that caught your attention that came out of the AGM for the UCP over the weekend. I think certainly the the premier gave a very lukewarm response, um, uh, knowing that uh, I think Alberta continues to grow more diverse, not less diverse, and trying to uh, target vulnerable communities is is not something that the majority of Albertans uh, agree with or, or support. So she's in a very difficult uh, position facing uh, beliefs from a, a small, very vocal, organized, far-right minority in Alberta when the Premier has to govern for everyone. Thank you so much for your perspective on this this morning. Dr. Wells, we appreciate your time. Pleasure to chat with you. Thank you, Dr. Christopher Wells, Associate Professor in the Department of Child and Youth Care, Faculty of Health and Community Studies at McEwen University. She's had a few hours sleep anyway after our <laughs> whirlwind trip to Las Vegas. The travel lady, Leslie Cater, is up and Adam joins us now. Hi, Leslie. Hi, good morning, Sue. Good morning. First off, let's just say this, and I, you, you, I, you won't take any heat from me because I agree. You say Vegas is not your favorite destination. Why so? No, it's not. I mean, it's it's just all about the gambling. I mean, I just walking through the hotel foyers and you've got to walk past a million of these machines going off. And, and the cigarette smoke. Oh, my goodness me. And they had a cigar bar at the hotel. I stayed at Paris and uh, the doors were wide open. So you had that cigar smoke coming all through the place. No, but you yeah. know what? It's a great destination for a conference and that's what I went down there for. Mm -hmm. When they announced that the conference was going to be in Vegas, I said yes, because we've got a non-stop flight. It's just a couple of hours, really easy to get to. You've got a few categories, and I'm just glad you're talking to us, Leslie, because, you know, they say what happens in Vegas. <laughs> but you are going to share some of what happened. Uh, let's kick off with the shows, and there's no shortage. You could see a handful of shows every day if you wanted to. Oh, you could. You could. And because we were down at a conference, we had a lot of entertainment thrown in. So uh, we went to a couple of functions. There's one at the uh, Brooklyn Bowl, they call it. It's like a bowling alley. But a stage there in this guy came on and sang and it was just like Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin rolled up into <laughs> one and and that was fabulous and it, 
it's just getting there from our hotel. We walked back and, oh, my goodness me, it was packed. You're really dodging people all the way. And you need to wear your running shoes because it's across the street takes <laughs> half an hour, right? So you're yes. getting a lot of steps. I wanted to ask you, and you didn't mention it, so I'm assuming you did not go to the new sphere, but it's getting a lot of attention down there, isn't it? It is indeed. And I was fascinated to see it because it's very, very dominant on the skyline there with the changing colors and graphics that are going on. So quite uh, fascinating, really. All right. The, the sphere is one thing. The walking, something you'd mentioned as well. Yeah, bring those comfy shoes. I mean, maybe you don't want to walk that far. Maybe you want to sit down and enjoy a meal. And I tell you, even from the first time I went to Vegas a little over 20 years ago, the dining, mm. uh, any cuisine you want, and you've got to, you know, celebrity chefs, it's unlimited, isn't it? It's all it? about the food yeah, for you, yeah. Andy. Oh, oh. You know it. Yeah, we had a fantastic meal at Gordon Ramsay's Steakhouse. Oh, wow. It was, I can't fault it at all. It was incredible, but pretty pricey. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Vegas, you used to be able to get some deals. I was there not too long ago, and I didn't find much of deals anywhere. But I wanted to ask you, because I don't know this area. You said one of your favorite places in areas in Vegas is the Link Promenade. (laughs) Yeah, there's a hotel now in Vegas called the Link Hotel, and it's in the area where the Imperial Palace used to be. So that's a new hotel, but what they've done is they've created this pedestrian promenade, and it's in the area of the Brooklyn Bowl um, function where we went to. But, oh, wow, you know, you walk up and down here, and all the restaurants have got sort of like little verandas, and we heard some incredible music. We actually stopped and, and sat and had a drink at one of the places listening to this guy, Joe Vitale. He was amazing. And uh, and then further along, they had um, a group of people singing there. It was so funny, you know, just entertaining. And everybody walking along, stopping and dancing and clapping. Oh, cool. It was really great. Neat area. I'll have to check it out. Did you yeah. see? Because, you, you know, you literally, you're like literally one foot off the plane right now. I know you just got back. <laughs> Did you see the setup for the big race? What's that uh, looking like? Is it taking up a lot of the, the city or the strip? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's tons of areas where grandstands have been erected. And there's a little bit of a quarrel going on between the Formula One organizers and some of the Vegas hotels that look down over the strip. Word is that they're charging $6,000 a night <gasps> to have one of those rooms. We're talking Formula One, the event. Is is, is it this weekend or next? It's this coming this weekend. Coming week. and, 6000 uh, for a room overlooking it. Yes, and now <sighs> the Formula One people are saying, no, hang on, guys. You know, you should be paying us. So they're trying to erect screens so they can't see. Wow. Oh, goodness me, how that's going to pan out, I don't know. But if you are going down to Vegas that weekend, they're warning you, allow yourself at least four hours for check-in at Vegas Airport. So, you know, overall, Vegas of old compared to Vegas of new, like a little bit more fun in your sense like in for what you enjoy or or is it still just not the place that you choose to go i wouldn't choose to go there myself but i think it's overrated or overpriced now too for what it is it's very expensive and but again as i said as a conference center and i know that i left the one conference and many of my colleagues my supplier reps were going on to another hotel for another conference and i thought oh my goodness me i wouldn't like to do their job
<laughs> interesting, interesting. What a different world it is. And for it me, is. it's a two or three days max. I don't need any longer. I feel like it's, oh, no. yeah. you know, yeah. if you were there for a week, it's like being on Stampede Park for and a like week. And like you started smoking. You know, there's no, <laughs> there's yeah. that. Thank you so much, Leslie. We always appreciate spending time with you. Okay. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good day. You thanks. too. It's Leslie Cater, known as the Travel Lady. You can find out more about what she does at thetravellady.ca. And yes, F1. It's kind of a big deal, isn't it? Vegas, baby. Vegas. Yeah.